Welcome back to another edition of the Hooper's Almanac. Our NBA Finals episode is finally here as the Golden State Warriors and Mitch's Boston Celtics will be facing off in the 2022 NBA Finals. The Celtics making their way back as for the first time since 2010. And obviously the Warriors have been here a lot recently, but haven't been here uh, for a little bit. So they're returning back to the NBA Finals. We're going to be previewing this matchup. Mitch is going to try to eliminate some of his bias. Uh, we'll see if he does a good job, but it's going to be a good episode. Uh, Celtics Warriors NBA Finals. We're going to break it all down for you on this episode. Before we get going, let's bring in our friends from Green Top. We are back at the Hooper's Almanac, and Mitch is a happy man. I'm going to ask how you're doing anyways, because it is tradition, but your Boston Celtics are in the NBA Finals. You're going against, we're both big Star Wars fans, what now appears to be the dark side of the force in the NBA, the ever-present, always scary Golden State Warriors. How are you doing right now? I'm sure you're happy. I'm also sure there's mixed emotions of fear and resentment for this type of team, but how are you feeling right now, Mitch? So there's two, two, two things of happiness. One, yes, I am stoked for the Celtics game. Um, if anyone was getting texts from me on whatever night that was, Sunday night, no, you weren't. Um, I was a very emotional human being that night. And uh, to say the drinks were flowing on Memorial Day weekend would be a lie. I mean, what wouldn't be, a, would be the truth because I definitely was having some sort of uh, alcohol in me. But it was a... It's a wild game. And the fact that the Celtics almost lost game seven, I about threw me for a loop. Thank you, Jimmy Butler, for taking a three. Um, and then the second thing I'm happy about, really, it goes back to the Warriors side of things, really helps that early in the season Mitchell Sell was guessing the putting the Warriors in his uh, finals picks. Um, might not have had the Celtics, yeah. in, but boy, were we, boy, was I having the Celtics, I mean, the, the Golden State Warriors up until about all-star weekend uh, in the NBA finals. So hats off to me for somehow getting that part right, but not choosing my Boston Celtics of it. Yeah. Well, you have the Celtics in the finals uh, in our official NBA playoff predictions. Once the field was set, you had Celtics sons. I had bucks sons. Both right. of us had the Suns winning it all. Uh, so over two on that front, I think, you know, we're not the only ones who are shocked by that outcome that happened in the second round for Phoenix, which we've chronicled on this podcast, but you had the Celtics. I was torn. I had the Celtics. I put the bucks, had the Celtics again. And then I landed on the bucks, just thinking the first round series for the Celtics would be competitive, would tire them out. And that the healthy bucks roster would be able to tackle them. And we got the opposite of what I expected. The Celtics ran through the nets and the bucks ran through the bulls, but they were hurt. Chris Middleton didn't play. And that was obviously right. a factor as well. So um, regardless, we both had confidence in the Celtics, you more so than me, and we were proven right. So it's, I, I think a lot of people out there were skeptical of the Celtics largely because of the nets matchup in the first round but also because all the analytics loved the Celtics, mm -hmm. like going into the NBA playoffs, the Celtics were the most likely team to win the NBA finals, according to every single statistical metric. Even now they have an 81% chance to win according to ESPN's BPI. I think 538 
gets has them even higher. But obviously, as we know, the Celtics are listed as underdogs right now, uh, according to Vegas. So it's interesting. We're going to break this down, Mitch. Um, but that disparity is really interesting to me, the analytical side and how it's not matching up with what we're sort of hearing from a media perspective right. as well as from a betting perspective. Well, and so betting perspective-wise, I can see why they do it. There's a lot bigger – there's a lot – people will know who are on the Warriors teams. Like, you're going to know the full rotation of the Warriors basically at this point. Kevon Looney has been there for God knows how long, but he's still there – and he's but he's been there starting center forever, even with their um, – I mean, even back when they were winning championships back in the mid-2010s. So that's what makes him – that's what makes him still, like, memorable in people's minds. You can still remember, like, at least the starting lineup of the Warriors. The difference here is the – you're right, the analytical side – the only the sport, the NBA nerds are betting the Celtics. And I consider me and you big NBA nerds. Um, and I put it even in my group chat of my buddies for fantasy basketball. The three people who said the Celtics are going to win of the 10 of us were big NBA guys. And one of them was a Warriors fan. He even said Celtics are winning in six. And so I consider the three people in that group chat, NBA nerds, um, one of them, one of them I, who said Warriors is an NBA nerd, but he also said Warriors in seven. So I'm like, okay, at least you haven't made them in seven. Um, but the thing is, like, there are – the difference in the analytical mind and the Vegas mind is, okay, Vegas is the more familiarity. The analytical mind is we're thinking about the here and now. And that is exactly where it can get – that's where it kind of gets dicey because you. I'm trying to even think about just good – I mean, the – you think back to that Warriors Raptors series, of course, health played into a big difference in that finals back in like 2019, KD and Clay not being well, but even still the Warriors analytically weren't as solid as what the Raptors were putting out. The Raptors had a better defense that year. And, and of course, health of course played a ma- massive factor into it, but point still being analytics kind of weighs out, even though the uh, old boomers are going to say analytics don't matter and mid range shots are still fun which they are fun, but you know, whenever you're hitting threes and dunking the ball, it's always a lot more fun doing it that way too. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that is the difference between these two teams analytically and why all those algorithms are measuring the Celtics so much greater is the defense on how historic the Celtics defense is. At some point we can sort of look back at history, Mitch, maybe in the off season or during the finals and just see, where their defensive rating ranks against just the all-time greatest teams. But it was number one in the NBA. Every single starter on the Boston Celtics received an all-defensive team vote. I mean, from a media perspective, from a statistical perspective, their defense was historic, um, and the Warriors just didn't have that. So I think that's maybe the point that edges the Celtics above the Warriors in in that conversation. And I think even when you're just looking at who's going to win, like – it's not the sexy thing to look at the team defense. You want to, all right, you know Steph, right. you know Clay, you know Draymond. They've been here. You're like, all right, these uh, are Tatum and Brown and everybody else in the Celtics just here too early. They've never been here before. It's easy to whip up that narrative, and it's going to be every semi-knowledgeable or casual NBA fan. You can do that in a heartbeat. Um, but I don't think that's that's the narrative that I agree with going into this series, Mitch, and I, I know you feel similarly. Well, and like I said, you, and you even pointed out right there, it's the semi-basic like sports nerd who wants to watch just the NBA Finals and the more familiar names because Steph Curry is a much bigger name than Jason Tatum 
Um, and it's been a more popular name, I think is the better way to put it. But if people are going to say that the Celtics haven't been there, look at how far this this core of the Celtics has made it all – I mean, every time. I mean, I mean, since they've been in the league. I mean, Marcus Smart hasn't missed the playoffs since he's been in the league. You've had – Brown and Tatum have made it to. I mean, I mean, Brown's made it to four uh, conference finals, and Tatum's made it to three at this point um, in his five years in the league. I mean, it's kind, it's impressive just how much this core has done, and how during a year, and how resilient this team was. Of course, I mean, it again something that's been incredibly well documented is the the turnaround in January by the Celtics. Yes, and that is why uh, you can also love on the Warriors too because. With how much injuries that how many injuries they had, this is such a team that has been resilient as well. They were a team to kind of be believed that they after they had a great defensive start to the season, their numbers to, on defense definitely went down. But even in this playoffs, their defense has kind of stepped up. Um, you can only lock up Luca so much. Um, it's like the old joke: the fact that Andre Iguodala could win an MVP while you know stopping quote unquote LeBron James from mid thirty averaging mid thirties in an NBA Finals series. Congrats! But uh, this Warriors team did a great job of trying to lock up Luca. But not only that, but giving pretty much just letting Luca do whatever he wants and then locking up everyone else. And so the Warriors, the Warriors are an experienced team. Yes, they've dealt with deep runs to the playoffs. Or in the past, yes. But it's not like the Celtics team isn't uh, isn't afraid of the notion or hasn't like made these kind of deep runs before. It's a little different with Ime, but Ime's also made deep runs, uh, been a part of deep runs with the, uh, other coaches. So I I like the Celtics' chances. The analytics, I kind of back it up too, but we'll kind of get into that as we move forward with it. I mean, one thing we wanted to talk about, Aaron, though, I mean, kind of hopping off the Celtics side of things, you look at this Warriors team, I mean – you kind of look at it, you kind of saw how Clay was kind of starting to get hot there at the end of the, you know, Mav series. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces, like for both teams, honestly. I mean, when you look at X factors or you think of X factors, you think of stars on, the, on both these teams. But when you think about like X factors or key role players for both these teams, what are like two role, what is a role player for the Warriors that you think could have, is going to make the most impact or could impact the Warriors the most based in this finals? It's a good question. I think it's Andrew Wiggins okay. um, for me because I think he's going to have so much responsibility in guarding Tatum right? or Brown. Most likely Tatum um, is going to be his primary responsibility. He did it in the war, in the Mavs series of at least slowing down Luka in some games. I mean, Luka right. comparatively to what how he played like against the Jazz and the Suns, uh, I mean, he definitely had an off series. Uh, that being said, he still had 40 over 40 points twice. Uh, but game one, for example, he had 20 points. I mean, that was the lowest he'd scored in any game during the playoffs only had 28 in that final game and his efficiency was just bad. Um, so even though he put up those raw numbers, he wasn't doing it as easily. Um, so I think he's the biggest because he's also shown for me, he's been so impressive for the Warriors on two for two reasons. One is defense, which I just said, and two is offensive rebounding has been incredible, mm. especially in that Grizzlies series. I found um, yeah. when the Grizzlies are such an offensive rebounding team and they have a size advantage if they wanted it, Wiggins was allowing them to continue to play small. Um, like people to want to talk about Kavon Looney toward the end of that series, but at the beginning, he wasn't really being relied upon to play big minutes. Right. Draymond was their five, but Andrew Wiggins was getting huge rebounds every single possession, getting them two, three shots. Um, 
And as you remember, Clay was not good in that series until game six. Uh, Curry was off and on. Poole was off and on. And Wiggins was able to just extend possessions. Uh, he hasn't shot the ball well from three, but if he can give you anything offensively in terms of athleticism, driving to the rim or shooting mid-range, and then everything he does in the offensive glass and defensively, I think he's going to be huge. Um, I mean, if they don't slow down Tatum at all, they're going to have issues. So he he's, to me, the most important role player for the Warriors. I like that take a lot because Wiggins is – you're going to get a lot from Wiggins' defense. I mean, he's kind of shown it throughout the entire playoffs. Um he was a – you're right. He was the guy that the, the Warriors threw at Luka and said, okay, this is going to be your job this entire series. How well can you do with it? And he did a great job comparatively. Of course, Luka's one of the best scorers in the NBA right now. So it's, you know, with a massive grain of salt about what this – like the, you you call good. The definition of good against Luka is a little different. Um, the other thing you got to think about also is – I think there is going to be great opportunities for him to shoot threes against this Celtics defense. Um, one, the, one of the things the Celtics do well though, is give teams bad three, bad three point shooters opportunities to shoot. And mm-hmm. we've seen it throughout the entire playoffs. They've suffocated good defensive three pointer, uh, the three point shooters, but they've also, and they've left bad ones open. And I think this is going to be an experience. I think that's a great opportunity for him to pull up. I mean, to hit threes, Difference though, he's not going to have an easy time going to the rim against any of these uh, Celtics wings. So I think he's going to have to if if he's going to be impactful in the series, I think it's it's going to have to be from deep on offense. Yeah, and he hasn't shot the ball like I said um, well from deep. I mean, in that closeout game against the Mavericks, he was over seven. Right. Uh, you know, he he's just really inconsistent shooting the ball, but right. but he can still score. Like he's just. Honestly, he's probably the most raw athletic guy that plays significant minutes for them. I mean, I know they have Moody, they have uh, Kaminga, like those types of guys. But in terms of being important, like he is their most athletic guy who's on the floor in crunch time. So he can get buckets other ways, off the ball, cutting, etc. But I mean, anything you can get from him shooting wise is great. He shot it well during the regular season, just under 40%. um, And he's as you said, the Celtics are going to leave him open. They're going to make him shoot. And I think the Warriors are going to have to have the same strategy for a guy like Marcus Smart on the other end. Um, and for me, he's my X factor for the Celtics for a lot of the same reasons I just said. Yeah, I mean, go into that. I mean, why don't you just hit on the Marcus Smart X factor thing I mean, while you're on it? Yeah, well, defensively, he's going to be asked to guard Steph Curry a lot of the time. Which um, he loves doing. Which he loves doing. He relishes the opportunity. I mean... He does there's that. He gonna, likes to dive at his ankles. It's great. You know, there's yeah. a lot of hate on that. And I was just about to say that the crowd's going to boom. He's going to get into it. I mean, he's the type of guy that lives for that stuff. Um, and yeah. he didn't match up as well with Jimmy Butler in the last series because Jimmy Butler was bigger than him. And he's probably stronger than him, too. And that's saying a lot because Smart is a super strong, stout guy. But Butler is just really a strong and powerful guard forward um but he's gonna be able to bully stuff a bit i mean stuff is really quick if smart's ankle or whatever his injury is is healthy then he's gonna be a key factor for them on the offensive end he's gonna be left open and he's gonna need to hit shots at the end of game seven against miami i mean he had three four opportunities to put that game away and he kept missing and kept missing and then he knocks down the two key free throws to ice it at the end 
but it's just the Marcus Smart roller coaster that we've known forever. And now you're in the finals and it's like, it's heightened. It's the same situation. You know who he is. Uh, you know, you're going to have highs, you know, you're going to have lows, but it's just, it's exponentially more important on this type of stage for him to have more highs than lows. Uh, especially when you're guarding Steph. So they're going to throw different guys at him. Like the Celtics have so many great defenders. Tatum Brown will take cracks. Um, White. White. Like they're going to throw guys at him, but Smart is going to be the number one guy. And he's also going to be asked to take shots. And he needs to not take dumb shots. I mean, he was the Celtics leader in shots per game, like three or four different games during that Heat series. And they won one of them or two of them. But that's not the recipe for success to me if you're Boston. So I'm going to hit on a few things with the Smart thing. One, I'll start with the shots thing. The shots, yes, it's annoying. But two, he was kind of had to because Tatum was getting doubled. Brown was being denied. And there's like the – you can see it like on that like last two minutes of the game. The reason why Smart was taking the shots is because literally Tatum was I, – I don't understand the Celtics offense at the end of games. Like why don't they actually run an offense rather than the whole dribble it out thing? You and I have both talked about that enough on this podcast. But like – it, yep. it puts Tatum in such a tough position because Smart's guy always goes and doubles him, leaving yep. Smart up top in like on the wing or above the above the uh, above the sideline. Well, I don't even know what I'm missing there, but I'm missing some big word there. Um, above the hash, that's what I'm looking for. And he just catches it, and he has like three seconds to decide. Okay, can I pass it to someone, or do I have to take the shot? And it's always the second option. Um, it's not like the end. It's not like game one of the Nets series where we saw that, but it's it's super frustrating because I want the Celtics to just run an offense, just keep ball movement going, so that way Tatum has doesn't have as many options to opportunities to get doubled. Which at the end of game you need him to not be doubled because he's a really good clutch shooter. But you know that's another thing. Two. You talked about the Jimmy Butler matchup. That was Jimmy Butler has proven to be a tough matchup for anyone in the playoffs. Apparently this year, um, we saw Marcus Smart throw his body at Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Giannis had issues against that. So I'm against Marcus, and so Jimmy Butler was literally on a different like stratosphere, on a different time. I mean, just in another planet. But that being granted, he also had three crap games right there in the middle and did nothing in like those middle three games. But the last, two, the first two and the last two, he was really good in. Um, so. Jimmy Butler was incredible in that series. He just – he's one of the best, like, 10 feet away from the basket shooters. Like, and you – we have a very small group of those people. And so he is crack. I mean, he that's his, like, bread and butter is that shot and just how he can finagle himself around and make those shots. Um, finally, yeah, Marcus Mars is going to be the biggest X factor for the Celtics team. How well he can guard Steph, how well he can stay with him, how well he can stay out of foul trouble is going to be the other thing because – Lord knows he's going to be put up against either Steph or Poole. Uh, we're going to probably throw a few different guys at Clay, but it probably won't be smart. It probably will be more Jalen or Jason. Um, but that was Smart's matchup with Curry is going to be the most important matchup of this series in my mind. That is that just think the point guard combo is going to be the best match. I mean, the best like comparison matchup and be the most important matchup of the series. Yeah, they're going to defend him differently which makes me love the Celtics in this. They're going to defend him much more physically than the Warriors have had to face Yeah, the entire playoffs. Nuggets, man, nobody is Ding you up physically. No. You might get a little Austin Rivers, but still it's Austin Rivers. You might get a little Aaron Gordon, but he's kind of getting blown by because his foot speed's not there. 
against the Grizzlies, they're not great defensively despite how intense they play. And then the Mavs are good team defense, but they clearly were outmatched in the last series. Um, so I think this, this is a totally different beast that they're dealing with in Boston from the defensive end. And I agree, Marcus Smart takes priority for that. Um, it's it's a t- it's tough to bet against the Warriors or pick against the Warriors just because of who they are and how talented they are offensively. But this is the type of team that would beat them. Somebody that's just more physical, that can grit and grind, but they still have the people who can score, especially in late game situations, despite how much we don't like the Celtics late game (laughs) offense. I think we were on it first or second round of the playoffs. Um, I mean, it's against the it's, Bucks. It was against the Bucks. That's when we kind of like were more pissed off about it than anything because the Nets series were always close games. The yeah. worst version of the Celtics offense is when they're up 10 with two minutes to go. When it's a close game and it's like back and forth, guys are making shots back and forth. That's when they're the best. That's when it's like that's when they're at their best. But when they're up 10 and you're just pretty much just playing, let's play the slow game, that's when it gets annoying and that's when it gets frustrating to watch. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, I. I just think they have to figure out. They know that the Warriors are going to double team Tatum late if right. it's a tight game. Like the Heat did it so well, um, and they're going to try to take that blueprint and apply it to the NBA Finals. I will take say two things with that. One, the Heat are probably the one of the best double teaming trapping teams in the NBA. Like Correct. we saw it in both series they played previously, especially Atlanta, how they shut down Trey Young. I mean, they rendered him almost irrelevant the way they played him, shadowing a second guy. And they did that almost all game. Uh, but against the Celtics, they really just only did it in late game situations on Tatum. And it worked really well just because they have so many physical good defenders that they can throw at you. With the with the Warriors, I mean, you're going to have Wiggins on him. Green's a good defender. But I'm not afraid of a Curry or a Thompson or an Otto Porter or a Looney coming up to double team. They don't have five guys that can move like the Heat can. Um, So I don't think they're going to be able to do that as effectively. If Tatum can dribble around or somehow find a way to evade those double teams or even just get Marcus Smart to not shoot it every time he's wide open and maybe dribble, penetrate, and kick, I just think the Celtics have to be planning right now to expect that late game scenarios because they clearly haven't developed a way to adjust in late game right now through the first three rounds. So, yes, I totally agree with you because the easy thing to do for smart is don't just stand outside the three point line, cut to the cut to like the middle of the the court, cut to like the free throw line. That way it puts you in the middle of the offense and you have many options because depending on what the closing lineup is for the Celtics, which if it's how I'm predicting it, it's going to be their starting five. It should be Rob, Al, Jalen, Jason, and, and Marcus. If you get to the middle of the, of the paint with Tatum off to the side being double teamed, that means probably Rob's guy is going to come right at you, and it gives Marcus Smart the easy lob to Rob every time. And so that's what like this offense was missing without Rob in it is that lob threat because Al Horford loved the man. Not as it's not a lob threat ever. Um, so it, it's going to be it's having Rob Williams back in this offense is going to be so necessary. And that's why he's my X factor. Mm. Um, he I'll stick on the Marcus smart thing. We'll get to the Rob Williams thing later, but I totally agree with you. This offense for the Celtics has to figure out what they're going to do when it comes to the late game scenario, because the other thing I was thinking about, how can you even try to get Jalen open in those late seconds? Because how can you run like a preliminary screen to try to get them open right before that double team comes? So one that throws off the double team or even two that gets Jalen open. 
uh, it's trying, I'm trying to think, I was trying to think about that. And the other thing I've been trying to figure out is just the matchups uh, that the Celtics could have uh, advantages in whenever it comes to just being uh, within their closing lineup, depending on whatever lineup the Warriors throw out there. Um, I'm thinking if, especially if the Warriors are coming down on offense, the thing that the Celtics can do if they the Warriors went small with Draymond and, and Aaron, uh, Andrew Wiggins, you just throw Rob Williams and Andrew Wiggins in the corner like they have done with every other bat every other bad th- corner three point shooter and let and let Rob Williams just roam the paint there in a little bit and see if Steph continues to go to the lane like he has done this entire playoffs, which it's been impressive how well he's gone to the rim this playoffs because he hasn't relied on his three point shot. Of course, Steph Curry is going to shoot a lot of threes, but he's done a great job scoring in the paint this off in this playoffs. And so, mm-hmm. I, if we just have out of Robert Williams just stand there in the middle of the lane, that just causes so much. And that's why I love this long break before the game one. I like the pick. I think it's also huge because the way Kevon Looney's playing, he's going to continue to get minutes against this type of lineup for Boston, where they're going to play two bigs. Right. If Rob Williams is healthy, so Kevon Looney's going to start as he always does, but. He's going to play significant minutes like he did against Dallas, like he did against uh, Grizzlies in the end of that series. Right. Um, And I think Rob Williams could have a huge advantage there. Uh, I mean, if he's guarding Looney one-on-one, he's not going to really have that much of an impact offensively. But the way Williams defends is he kind of is like a free safety underneath the the rim. So Curry driving to the paint, as you said, he's been doing it a lot more. And I love it when he does. I get so tired of him shooting bad step-back threes. Obviously, he's the best shooter of all time, but – so many times in a regular season, I'm like, you're so quick, man. You have a great handle. You can drive past anybody. But he's done it a lot more in the playoffs, and that's been successful for him. But it's not as easy when you're going against a 6'11", 6'10 guy who's got incredible length and incredible hops and incredible shot-blocking ability. Same thing for Clay. Um, you're just – the Celtics are able to meet you, Horford and Williams, two guys who are great at staying straight up and getting vertical – and being strong, you're able yeah. to meet Clay and Curry and whoever else with so much force and length at the rim that they haven't faced to this point. And I think that's got to affect them, especially Clay, who I semi worry about his how he holds up in this type of a series. Mm. Um, I know he started to kick it on a little bit, but I don't know if this is a Clay Thompson series, to be quite honest. Uh, he's had two good games, to be honest, and I think we're kind of overvaluing that. Uh, game six clay against the Grizzlies and then game five against the Dallas Mavericks. He was good, but I don't think this is a good clay series. And I think Robert Williams could be a good reason why. Yeah. So you brought up a great point. And then if the Warriors go big, they bring Looney and Draymond out. I feel like you just throw Rob Williams on Draymond and, or you either throw Al or Al yeah. or whoever on Draymond, probably actually, you know what? It probably would be Al on Draymond just because you know how creative uh, Draymond can be with the ball. So you just really don't trust Draymond to shoot threes. The thing is, though, Draymond's at the perimeter and he's moving around. He's setting constant screens. He's like he is the ball handler at the top of the key. And you want Robert Williams underneath the rim. And so if he's guarding Draymond, he's not going to be underneath the rim at all. He's going to be out yeah, on the island. You're going to throw him on Kavan. The other thing is, all right, so we brought up this comparison for the conference finals. Talked about how the Heat are just a constant moving offense. Yep. And that's exactly what the Warriors are. The, the Heat are a great value version of what the Warriors do on offense. I yep. think that is going to play a huge factor into the series as well uh, because ball, the what the Warriors do differently than everyone else is they don't attack like 
they don't try to find the mismatches on offense. Like that's not their style. Their style is just to literally run their offense to see what get, what comes with what it comes with. And if they can get like Rob Williams in the wrong kind of position, the wrong kind of switch, just from that offense, it's all. I mean, like Steph Steph could beat him off the dribble, and Rob can try to collapse on him from behind and still swat off the backboard. I I just think the issue of it all is if the Warriors try to actually seek out Rob or and or even like Peyton Pritchard on defense, that could be the big difference. I just think Rob Williams is going to – if it's a healthy Rob Williams, I do not worry about the Celtics trying to, one, out-rebound the Warriors, or two, just even with their defense. I think he just is such a great anchor. Of course, Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, he is the best defensive player on this team, but Rob Williams solidifies that defense within the anchor as a shot blocker. We've seen it all throughout this playoffs. Every announcer, Mike Breen, literally lost his mind when Rob Williams had three blocks <laughs> in the game during the conference finals. And so um, also hoping Mike Breen is just back for these uh, finals games. I, yeah. We just have totally glossed over that. That's on my part. That's my fault. But the 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 fact that Rob Williams can just finally be a full-time anchor don't have to worry about Daniel Tice minutes. I will be a much happier man. It, yeah, I mean, Robert Williams is great. You don't want Daniel Tice to play more than five minutes in an NBA Finals, to be I honest. I don't want Daniel Tice to it. play any minutes in an NBA Finals game. But foul trouble, you know, things happen. Like Right. But five minutes is my cap. And if any more than that, I'd be shocked if they win. Maybe he gives you 10 good minutes. Who knows? Uh, sometimes he just plays that way. He can go like 0 for 7 or one game in the, I think it was the second round, he went like five for five right away in the first half. And that was a big game against the Bucs. Uh, I think that might've been game six on the road actually. Um, but you mentioned Rob Williams. I honestly think Al Horford is just as important for them because he's a bit more versatile and he can guard a guy like Draymond on the perimeter and move with him despite his age. Like he's my favorite Celtic at this point. He's <laughs> so admirable he, the way he's been able to keep his body in shape at his age and elongate his career, especially after everybody forgot about him when he was just like taking care of himself in Oklahoma city and not showing up at all. Stashed um, away in the, in the corner for no one, just like a forgotten toy. Right. But I mean, especially against guys like a Steph or a clay or whoever, Jordan Poole, he's really, really good at, at contesting without fouling. Like that was proven in the Miami heat series against Jimmy and I think that's one of the reasons why Jimmy didn't drive at him for that yep. last shot and why he took the fate of the pull-up three because there was a lot of space between Horford and Jimmy on that shot. Uh, momentum, I mean, I personally didn't like it. We don't need to get into it a whole lot. But one of the reasons I, I think he did that is because Horford time and time again during that game was straight up, didn't block the shot, but he made it really difficult and he didn't foul, most importantly. Um, so he's really good at avoiding fouls. And that's what you got to do against this Warriors team because they're such a good free throw shooting team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's super important for this series too. And if you can get anything offensively from him, that'd be awesome. It seemed like he was a bit tired last series on the offensive end and was spending so much energy on the defensive end. But in that Milwaukee series, he was huge. I mean, obviously he had two huge games uh, to, on the road in that series that were big for them. But if you can get like 15 points a night from him, that'd be great. It's so nice to have Al Horford and Rob Williams, who are both very good defensive players down low, but who also can just block a shot and that's and like keep it inbounds. Like that's what like is like Celtics nature since the the sixties. Like 
Bill Russell like yells about it like in his book like whenever he like is on Twitter he hates guys who swat it and just swat it for enthusiasm in the crowd like Rob Williams is the master of tipping the ball to the right person it's quite it's quite incredible and Al Horford does a great job of that too um so I love both these big men so much I've apologized vehemently to Al Horford at this point. So he already knows my love for him. And I, I loved him. I just didn't think he was a top 10 power forward until this playoffs. And that's on me. That's on me for my, my stupidity. Um, but I will, I am so excited for this finals because I think <laughs> the Celtics have just so many mismatches on in their favor that just really will affect the Warriors offense because of how lanky and big the Celtics, this Celtics team is the only guy I worry about being undersized or just not being big enough is Peyton Pritchard. And he is shown to be the, one of the biggest hustlers on the floor every time he's playing. So um, that's why I love the Celtics team going forward. Um, but I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to talk about my Warriors X factor who yeah. just was announced that he's going to probably be playing in game one. And it's going to be Gary Payton second. Um, talk about another guy you could throw at just to be a, menace to whoever you want him i mean he's gonna be a little small to throw out jason maybe a little small maybe a little too small for jalen but it's just another guy to have on defense that can throw out there he's not you don't have to worry about him on offense that's fine i will not worry about his offense if you're the celtics on defense you're not really worried about him but you're going to worry about him being that guy who will walk you up from 90 from all 90 feet from from the pass in from under the basket to the ed i mean because the celtics have an issue dribbling the ball Apparently that no one learned how to dribble the ball past the age of nine. And that just made no sense to me. Marcus Smart is our best dribbler. And does that annoy me? Yes. Or Peyton Pritchard. Get Peyton Pritchard the ball. Just bring him in just to dribble up the ball. And let's call a timeout and get everyone in the half court. Um, but my point is this Gary Payton, the second is going to be, a, I feel like it's going to be a massive impact because how this offense runs, it gets him open looks. And if he gets hot, it's unfortunate for me because then there goes my mental health in three seconds because Gary Payton's going to hit a three in the corner. Um, but he also just is that aggravating defender who I know will cause issues for whoever is bringing the ball up because I feel like he'll come off the bench and he'll probably come off the bench the same time Derek White comes in. And that all, all, also just gives me so much anxiety because Derek White mm-hmm. trying not to dribble up against Gary Payton the second just gives me pain already. Yeah, no, it's a good point because he's going to be bringing you up full court every single time, picking up 94 feet. And whoever's bringing the ball up, I hope it's a Marcus Smart where you can just sort of put your ass into him and back him down, like do the Chris Paul method. Um, It's early early 2000s, like Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson looking thing. It's it's a hideous look, but boy, does it work. Yeah, I mean, you got to do something like that, but – the turnover thing is a really good point, and I wanted to expand upon this because the Boston Celtics did seem like they had a turnover issue in this last series. They um, had a turnover issue the past two series. Even the Bucks series, there was some horrific games in there too. But I want to point out that the Miami Heat are arguably the best defensive team in the NBA. I say the Celtics are collectively, but the Heat are right there in terms of just pestering you, stealing the ball, putting the hand of the ball every single time. Like, the way they've been able to make teams just so uncomfortable, I mean, I think they're better at that than anybody. Uh, and this, the Warriors don't have that. I think also with the Bucks, you have a Drew Holiday character. 
you know, uh, I love Gary Payton, but he's not at a Drew Holiday level. And when you look at their overall statistics for the year, like Boston was middle of the pack in terms of turnovers, 13.7 per game. It's ticked up recently, as you said, against the Heat. But it's not like that's going to be an advantage for Golden State because Golden State also has a chronic turnover problem. They're the second second most turnovers per game than any other team in the NBA during the regular season. Uh, the only other team that's worse than them was Houston. Like, and Denver was right there with them. So my mental health is right there with yours. It's, <laughs> so I, I know exactly what it's like. And the Warriors are so talented that they're able to overcome that sort of stuff. But I personally think that because the Warriors turn it over so frequently, it's not going to be a huge advantage for them, even if the Celtics continue to have issues dribbling and whatnot. I just think it's a more it's a more net even, you know, net zero some game right there on, on that issue. The other thing the Celtics do a great job of is attacking in the fast break. They've been one of the better fast break teams just in this playoffs uh, because they have two of the best finishers at the rim in, J- in Jason and Jalen, which – I don't think, listen, I give enough crap to Jalen Brown for how much he dribbles just in just like the amount of in between like dribbles. But once he gets to the rim, the man is one of the most creative finishers at the rim and it's quite ridiculous. And I don't understand that. Um, and I feel like that's underappreciated of him. So people, M- casual NBA fans are going to be kind of surprised about what Jalen Brown can do at the rim. And that's what this team has done a great job on the fast break and that's where Rob Williams like kind of shines when he just gets a nice little alley-oops here and there because the man will run the court. He is one of the fastest like big men I've seen just because of how well he cares about trying to succeed on these fast breaks. And that's what the Celtics will take advantage of this, uh, this Warriors team, because we saw the Grizzlies do it in, in their blowout win against the Warriors, whenever the Warriors couldn't make a shot and return the ball over incessantly. We saw the Mavericks take advantage of that too. When the best teams can and the faster teams of the NBA can take advantage of that, you are kind of screwed. And that's what I think. You're right that that's mm-hmm. what the one of the Warriors' downsides and one of the Celtics' um, advantages is going to be. So I'm excited to see how that all plays out. Yeah, totally. But it's it's a good point in Gary Payton. I love that X factor. He's probably going to be back for Game One. They announced so it's going to be good to have him in the fold. I mean, what he's been able to do to get to this point. You know, he's grinded his way here. Obviously, his dad was a famous NBA player who played it on this type of a stage and played really right. well. Um, so to see, you know, to, for him to get to this stage, playing in Oregon State, sort of grinding his way up through different teams in the G League and whatnot. Um, and he's clearly made an, an impact on this team and has carved out a role. So I'm personally, even though I'm cheering for the Celtics in this one, I'm going to be excited to see him out there. Um, so those are our X factors. Wiggins. Uh, and Peyton on Golden State side, and then you had Robert Williams and I had Marcus Smart. So I'm glad we were able to get four different folks there. But yeah. I think we we agree that all four of those guys are going to be really important role players for the series. The other guy with even throughout there is Otto Porter for the Warriors. Um, you brought up him not being like the guy you're worried about him double teaming, but he's another body that like can he's not like he. Let me let me start with this. The man is like a B on defense. He's not going to like be your like all pro defense but he's not like dog crap he's not like going to be a weakness on your guys defense he adds to the team defense in my mind and that's just another like bigger wing to throw at jason and jalen do i think he's going to stop him all the time heck no but i still just think it's another body that auto porter and he also has proven this year that he can be a scoring option for them he proved that just he's also kind of proved it throughout this playoffs but 
we're not going to see 44% from the three point line, uh, three point arc, uh, auto port like we had in the Wizards anymore. That's never happening, but there, there will be games where he's just going to go five for six from three, and I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. what? But he also has to be healthy to do it. So we'll see if that even happens. As a Celtics fan, what are you most worried about when it comes to this matchup? I know we talked a lot about the Celtics side of things on how we see some certain advantage for advantages for them and matchups and whatnot and the way they play teams defensively. But just when you're going up against this team in game one, when you're watching this game, you know, for example, last year in the playoffs, the Nuggets were playing the Portland Trailblazers in the first round. Right. And just watching Damian Lillard cook every single possession, like I was in my seat terrified every time he touched the ball because I knew it was going in. And so when you're a Celtics fan watching the Warriors play tomorrow night in game one, what is going through your mind that is akin to that feeling? It's it's the one up of Damian Lillard. It's Steph Curry. I mean, it's it's having that man with the ball. But the difference between him and Dame is the fact that this man is constantly moving off the ball and he's constantly moving. So I'm not just watching him with the ball. I'm literally going to keep my eyes on him, one eye on him, and then one eye on the ball when he's not with the ball because that way I can know, okay, who's getting switched onto him? Who's going to actually be able to keep uh, – who's keeping up with him throughout this – throughout his uh, maze of running that he's going to do around the Celtics defense. And so if Marcus Smart dives at his ankles again, I'm kidding. No, uh, if we can just get a, if we can just keep up with Steph, if we can have a guy who's willing to run four miles in the game to try to keep up with Steph and keep the myriad of guys who are going to probably be thrown at him. I'm not, it, it, that's the only one worry is Steph Curry. I'm worried, but, We've there's been the stories of why hasn't Steph Curry won an NBA Finals MVP? Mm-hmm. Stats kind of back it up. There's been some off shooting series. And it's always helped that he had KD and they those those second two as well. But he was the most important player for those teams, but he wasn't the best player for on those teams. If that makes any sort of sense. But and so that's what makes me worry about this. If the only the overarching theory is Steph Curry consistency. Then the second thing is, okay, is Clay Thompson going to go back to old Clay Thompson? And am I going to have to deal with that this series? Yeah. Seeing Clay get hot would be a frustrating sight. Uh, I personally he, don't. He is, he is hands to the ball shoot and I'm done for. Yep. No, I mean, some of those just curling off of a three or a screen to shoot a, a pop around three. I mean, that's just impossible to defend the way he comes off a screen. But what he's been doing more and more, and I saw somebody in in Dallas predict this really well, is when he's driving to the rim, he'll like stop around the free throw line. He he has nobody in front of him. His defender could be on his back and he just stops. And then he takes one step back and does this little one leg fade away situation. And I forget who it was on Dallas, but they blocked him from behind. Like they just, they were still behind him and they knew he was going to do that exact move and they blocked him. And he's done that ever since he'd come back from his injury. And I would need to go back and watch the tape to see if he used to do that all the time on if that's just a classic clay move, but the Celtics defenders are so smart. Like clay has relied upon these little gimmicks and little things to account for, you know, his lack of full health right now, but his great skill and craftiness. And I imagine that the Celtics sort of pick up on those sort of things and also be more physical with them. So I'm really interested to see how Clay Thompson performs. I'm a bit skeptical, but obviously, you know, you never want to root for a player's downfall. Um, let's pivot to game one. 
since we've talked about the series overall. Let's pivot to game one. Game seven, the Celtics are coming off a seven-game series against the Miami Heat, which was a grueling series despite some blowouts in there, some injuries here and there, whatnot. They had seven games against the Bucks. They had a sweep in the net series, but I would say that's a pretty tough series as well, just based on how competitive every single game was. The, uh, the Warriors, on the other hand, finished off the Nuggets very easily in five games. They had a good matchup against the Grizzlies to begin with, but then they didn't have to face John Morant at the tail end of that series. They won that in six. And then they took care of Dallas fairly easily in five. Right. So these two teams kind of come into the finals in different situations from a rest perspective. The Warriors have had a few more days off, as well as just playing fewer games in general over the playoffs. I looked back, Mitch, at recent finals matchups where a team has come into the game one of the NBA finals coming off a seven game series in the conference finals in the last decade. It's happened four times, 2018, uh, which was golden state sweeping the Cavaliers in the finals. Both teams were coming off of game sevens. The Cavs, as you know, beat your Boston Celtics great times in game seven, the Warriors beat the James Harden Rockets in game seven. So that's sort of a moot point since both teams are coming off of game seven, but that did happen in 2018 golden state, as I said, swept. So they obviously won game one 2016, the Cavs end up beating the warriors in seven. Obviously that's the iconic LeBron chased on block. He's an animal that entire series, but the warriors went to seven against the thunder in the conference finals and actually won game one. So there's a precedence of then going to seven in the conference finals coming off that short rest and still winning game one. The other two examples happened in 2013 and 2012, back-to-back scenarios when the Heat went to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. In 2013, they went to seven against Indiana, but they ended up losing game one to the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA Finals. In 2012, they went to seven against Boston, which was essentially the end of the big three. I remember that game very well. And then they lose game one to... (laughs) <laughs> and then they lose game one to Oklahoma City, uh, which was Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Then they win the next four games. They win that series in five. They end up beating the Spurs in seven in that 2013 series. So two out of three applicable scenarios, the team that has come off of seven games has lost game one. And that other scenario, the Warriors ended up winning game one. So it's a sort of a mixed bag. I don't think it's as big of a deal because the Celtics have had a few days off. Um, we talked about this in the Eastern Conference Finals, Mitch, how they were coming off one day's rest going into Miami. They looked tired in the second half of that game, and they ended yeah. up losing that game. I don't think it's as similar of a scenario, but based on that context, how do you think the Celtics perform just given the long, tough road they've faced so far? I said it earlier. It's the gauntlet. I mean, they've played the la- the three teams they played in the playoffs for the last three teams did not come out in the playoffs, like over the past three, the last three playoff appearances, which is crazy. Um, the difference in this series, one, you have rest, you have guys who are back and healthy or than you did in the entire heat series. I mean, you were missing guys throughout that entire heat series here and there, which sucked. Um, the thing to think about when you're thinking about just this game one, I think I'm, I'm already predicting the Warriors win. I'm predicting a home court experienced like finals experienced Warriors win because we've seen that in the past two rounds, we've seen the, like the Celtics kind of learn what they often the teams do. And 
I know a lot of people are, this is not a new take by any means, but this is a take the fact that the Celtics do a great job of in kind of engulfing all the knowledge they learned from game one and using it in game two. It's worked in the past. I mean, all three series because close, close game one win off a of JT game winner in game in the first series against the Nets lost game one against the Bucks in, I mean, fairly, fairly certain fashion. I mean, lost by like 13 or something like that against the Bucks in game one. And then, like you said, they had a second half collapse against the heat. They used all that, all those, all those games to come back and just dominate game two or to win game two in a very solid fashion. I think that's what happens here in game one. I think it's a close loss to the Warriors. It's in, it's in, it's in San Francisco. It's in golden state. It's going to be a home court finanza. You're going to hear the Marcus smart booze. I almost fear that Marcus Smart is going to get tossed in game one, but I'm not predicting it, um, but I fear it. But I still think Warriors win game one. It'd be a great game. You're going to see the thing that we've seen in the Warriors, the Warriors-Celtics matchups over the past two years is we've seen a Jason Tatum-Steph Curry showdown, and it's been great every time they've played against each other healthy. Um, but every time they've played, it's been okay, who can outduel the other one? And we've seen both sides win. Celtics have the best record uh, against – also well-documented. The Celtics have the best record against the Warriors uh, than any other team since the Steve Kerr era I, started. I, I love, love that. how many Celtics fans thrown out. Thrown I out. love that stat because I loved the, the fact that there was a team with Isaiah Thomas, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, and Amir Johnson beating this Warriors the, – the successful Warriors team. That was my favorite thing ever. As, as a <laughs> to me it's just so irrelevant though like i get it's Why is such it irrelevant a, it's a crazy thing to think about that you know obviously it's relevant because they are playing each other and the fact that there's only one team that has a winning record and it's them is relevant but think about how much turnovers happen like as you said isaiah thomas was leading the charge back in the day love that they team. broke that big streak <laughs> against golden state it's a completely different team i mean oh. i'd love to learn more about and maybe it's still a winning record based on just the overall winning record against steve kerr but with the core that they have now with the tatum the brown the smart what their record is against them and so also the- you have to keep in mind because in the recent past the Warriors have had two really bad years where they missed the playoffs. Right. And so, I mean, it's a different era that we're talking about right now with Golden State. And this year they split. This year they split yep. the difference. I mean, the Warriors won game one back in December, which is on NBA TV right now, which is pissing me off. I had to turn it off because Romeo Langford was playing for the Celtics. Loved you, hate you, but we're happy you're gone. Um, and then game two, it's always going to be marked with the Steph Curry injury. People will talk about the fact that Marcus Smart dove at – at uh, Steph Curry's legs, I agree. Do we not remember when Draymond Green also dove at Grant Williams' legs? It's a totally different, like stardom player, but this had happened in that game too. So, throwing that out there, but no one else, no one wants to listen to Grant Williams getting hurt, nor do I. But I love the man. Um, point is this: I still think Golden State takes Game One. You had a great bet though for the first half of Game One. I like the Celtics in the first half. I agree. Uh, uh, right now, there's the spreads like plus one and a half. So if it's a tie game, if they lose by one, you would win that bet. Or if they win the, the first half, if they lead at the end of the first half, uh, which it's, it's always tough with the plus one and a half. Maybe you just take the money line, but honestly, I, I feel like you just want the point though. I mean, it's only plus plus one thirty to take the first half money line for them to lead at the end of the half. So I like getting the plus one and a half just because if they don't end up with the ball, 
it's not like a late game situation where they need to take another shot. Like they're comfortable just playing a defensive possession, eking it out. So I kind of like getting the point, but in general, I like the Celtics in the first half because they've been a really good first half team all year. And I talked about it in that heat game. They ended up losing that game one on short rest, but we saw in the first half, they actually led the heat by 10, I believe double digits, at least, um, might've been more than 10. It was certainly double digits, but they played great in the first half. And then the fatigue started to show in the second half. I think it's a similar scenario. I also think that the market may be overvaluing the Warriors home court a little bit. Um, The chase center is not Oracle. We've documented this on past podcasts as well. Like it's still a rocking environment, but it's not the same. And the Celtics have proven their ability to win on the road. They did it in every single series so far in huge games. So I'm not scared of them performing on the road. So I kind of like them, at least in the first half, I would lean the Warriors winning game one as well. They've uh, in the NBA finals under Steve Kerr, they've only lost one game one. And that was against the Toronto Raptors in their last finals appearance. Other than that, they were four and zero. So they traditionally perform well in these types of games, but I just think the Celtics, I like them in general in the series. So I think they're going to be competitive even in a game that they could lose. So let's take them in the first half. You brought up a, you brought up the stat. I don't remember what the exact number was for it, but also like the Warriors third quarters are also insane, which was Cole Steckline, big Warriors fan will also tell you, which was a detriment to this Warriors team during their finals runs. Like when they had to throw out Sean Livingston with, uh, like Harrison Barnes, like early, like before the KD years, like, and like they had a hodgepodge of different centers that they were throwing out there in different games, like Anderson Barishow, like they would just have to throw them out there in the third quarter. So that way guys would get rested up for the fourth quarter. And so that has always been a detriment to these Warriors teams. However, this Warriors team has been ridiculous in the third quarters. And that's why I, that's why I like that first half over, but the second half comeback by the yep. Warriors, if not just a third quarter comeback leading to a fourth quarter close game. Yeah, Golden State's the best team in, by point margin uh, in the third quarter, although the last couple of games they have come out slow, but that's largely because they've had some leads um, against sure. Dallas. Boston actually is the second best team in third quarter margin. But when you look at the just the first half, second half, right? First half, Boston is second best in the NBA at plus 4.1 points. Golden State's uh, plus 1.1, so barely barely over, uh, right. barely having a lead at half. That's 12th in the NBA. But when it comes to second half, the Warriors are just coming out and coming back from a deficit or extending their lead because they're the best team in the second half in margin. So that's where they really play well. I saw it happen against Denver a few times in games I was watching very closely. I know it happened in the past couple of series as well. So I could see it happening again here in game one and the Celtics getting off to a hot start in the road and maybe fading a bit down the stretch. Totally agree with you. Well, t- so this is our preview. We both have the Warriors winning game one. Where do you kind of see this all ending up? I mean, we've done this question 800,000 times on this podcast, but we love this question every time. Who's winning the finals and, who, and how many games? I got the Celtics in seven. Celtics in seven. Okay. Went on the road again. It's the, it's just going to be the narrative. This team has won big games in the road all year. They won in the playoffs, at least. They won both against Brooklyn. Uh, they were against elimination against Milwaukee. They won game six. 
Uh, And then they won game seven after choking away game six at home in Miami. I think they could do it again. Uh, For some reason, the Celtics haven't defended home court. I don't know why, because the crowd's been fantastic. But you're going up against a game six clay, perhaps. The Warriors are battle-tested as well. Like I just could totally see the uh, Celtics coming home with a 3-2 lead, locking up the finals, and then they choke away game six, just like they did against Miami. Or maybe it's a situation where they have to come back from a 3-2 deficit and they win that pivotal game at home. So I think it goes seven, personally, uh, either way you slice it. So I like the Celtics in seven. So I had him on the pod. Jack Pollard had texted me today. What, what are my thoughts on the series? Like, where do I think it all ends up? So I'm going to read you my exact text I sent him. Uh, I said that I said Celtics losing game one. They have for the past two series. Celtics adjust and win game two. I think they take game three and four in Boston. Wow. I think they lose one of those two. That's fine. That's fine. Because here's what I, here's the literal thing that's going to happen because everyone in, in their mother named Stephen A is going to come out for game five in Golden State and they're going to win game five. And then everyone's going to lose their mind. Holy crap. Are the Warriors going to avenge their 2016 teardown when they lost and when they're after up 3 1? Are they going to avenge? The answer is no. They're going to lose in six and the Celtics are going to win it in home. And I think the Celtics win in six. And I think they all just, this is when the Celtics bias comes out of me a little bit here, but I just think that there is a great narrative to be set in this. For, wow. Hello there, 13 year old Mitchell with the voice crack. Um, but there's a great narrative to be set in these first two games. If the Celtics can win game two going into Boston. And I think the difference was in those, the last series against the heat was the injuries. You lost Derek White for game three because he was becoming a baby daddy. But also the fact that you also had some injured Marcus Smart. Rob Williams wasn't in for one of those games. That's, I think you throw that, you have to kind of not totally forget about it, but it has to be like farther back in the mind than it usually is because of health-wise. And that's why I think Boston at home, Rob thrives off of the Celtics crowd. And so does Grant Williams, which that would be my other X factor for the Celtics too, because if he can hit shots, it's great. I uh, hate Grant Williams. I know you do, but it's okay. It's okay. The corner office still believes in you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think the Celtics lose game one. They win the next three. And I, and I think that's so game, wild. I, I totally agree. And I can't believe I'm saying that out loud either. But win the next three, lose game five in Golden State. Everyone loses their minds. Everyone. Stephen A's screaming on first take. The, the Warriors are going to come back and win, come back from down 3 1. And the Celtics shut them up in game six in Boston because the Celtics are the balls. Uh, if everyone's seen their famous uh, 80s clip. But yeah, that's, that's my prediction. Well, that's interesting that you sort of talked about the narrative of avenging the 3-1 deficit that they led up to the the Cavs. And I could see a similar comparison being made to my scenario where the Celtics would win in seven is the Warriors have a chance to get, all right, let's see if they can close out a game seven here at home. They couldn't do it in 2016. Let's see if they can do it now. And then they choke again. Uh, I don't know. I, I could I could see it happening. I, I'd honestly rather see that happen than the Celtics win in six. I, I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I fair, but the Celtics fan in me wants them to win at home in yeah, like in the in the garden. But trust me, if we could win it in the Chase Center, I'm if we win it, that's just all I want. I just want the Celtics right. to win it. Who cares? Do, win in I four. Don't they, <laughs> I don't care where they win it. I just want them to win it. <laughs> 
But I here's what I'll say, and this is kind of I feel like wrap it up like the finals talk more than anything. This is gonna be a fun finals. Like it's gonna be so good. We have seen incredible ratings for this entire playoffs. Like during the bubble, like we got, I mean, people kind of shat on just how much like the ratings of the NBA ever since then, the ratings have kind of gone up and like have continued to go up. Like during the playoffs, we saw some of the biggest, highest rated games we've seen in the 2010s. I mean, since the early 2010s. So um, this is, this has been a great year for basketball. This has been a great playoffs for basketball and it's only going to continue because one, you have one of the biggest dynasties in NBA history in the Boston Celtics who haven't, like you said, won a, won a championship or been to a championship. sorry haven't been to a championship in 12 years having won one in 14 and you're going up against one of the the dynasties of the 2010s who are definitely more on their down i mean who have hit their peak and they're kind of on that plateau area of like okay can we keep this can we find this part where the veterans and the young talent kind of merge together kind of like the spurs did throughout the 2000s and early 2010s can we find that kind of mesh here and that's what's going to be exciting about this team because we have a lot of young talent. You got Jason and Jalen Brown, uh, you get, and you got the veterans and Al Horford, who love you, Al Horford. The fact that you have not made the, hadn't made the NBA Finals in 141 playoff games, so happy that you finally got to make it there. But you also on the Warriors side have have a group of guys who have been there a bunch. But you also have some guys like Otto Porter, Jordan Poole. Um, and some guys who are trying to prove themselves, prove their worth, and this would be the great series for them to do it. I think this is going to be great basketball. I think it's going to be great. Uh, the, we finally have parity in the NBA. We talked about it going into the playoffs. The last three NBA finals have now featured six different teams. Love that. After having five straight years of Warriors versus Cavs, where I wanted to blow my brains out, this could not be anything. I, I've, this is what I wanted. This is what all NBA fans wanted is a little bit of parity and perhaps a changing of the guard, if we are correct. And the Celtics have an opportunity to maybe create this another dynasty where it's a big two or big three or who the hell knows how many big players. But really, it's Jason Tatum uh, and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart leading the future of that franchise in Rob Williams. But uh, it could be interesting to see a new dynasty form before our eyes now. The Bucks are still there and a variety of different teams are there, which we can get into in the offseason. But the fact that we've had this much parity is awesome. And I think we're going to have a great finals. I would be shocked if it ends in five games. I think it goes six or seven. Uh, and I think it's going to be competitive all the way throughout. I mean, we've had so many blowouts, Mitch, especially in the conference finals. It was just unwatchable certain games. They were just over by the fourth quarter. I don't think we're going to have that uh, more than once or twice in the series. Last time the Celtics Warriors played in the NBA Finals, Aaron, 1963-64 season. Two incredible stars and Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell. Celtics came out on top in that series. I think that's what happens in this one, too. There we go. Absolutely. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with a little cereal and brews. Uh, but, yeah, that's the end of our final talk. We'll be right back. Go Celtics. Another edition of Cereal and Brews. Before we get to our usual fodder and chit-chat about movies and Mitchell's love life and different exciting things that we enjoy talking about, um, Before, since we last recorded, a tragedy has occurred and we just wanted to address it briefly. In Evalde, Texas, uh, a gunman, as many people know at this point, murdered 19 t- children and two teachers 
at an elementary school there, Rob Elementary School. Um, we just wanted to address that and say, you know, obviously we were following that news the day of and the days to fo that followed and how tragic and devastating that event was. Obviously things need to happen. We currently are not the two individuals uh, that have the power to address that, but we obviously feel for all these families and different people who have lost people in this, in this tragic occurrence, as well as all the other senseless mass shootings that have occurred in the, in the past. So we just wanted to say that obviously the Hooper's Almanac is conscious and stands by these families and stands by anything we can do to help solve this problem in America. So Mitch, I don't know if you had something to say, but I think it was worth addressing just based on what sadly happened on that day. Oh, of course. And my two things, one, well, thoughts and prayers aren't my only, I mean, it's probably the only, <laughs> one of the only few things I can do. Uh, that's what I will give. The other thing is it's continue conversation. Uh, this, we are a basketball podcast. However, this is a podcast that, you know, you want to be able to realize that there are other things in this world besides basketball. And I hate that idea, but uh, there is change that needs to be made. And whether, whatever it is, it can't be just as simple as whatever has been, been going on, whatever has been allowed here uh, in America. And so definitely agree that change needs to be made and who knows what will end up happening but i i am i am speechless for what has continued to happen what is continued to allowed to have happened uh just in this country and we've seen it cross over to the basketball world steve kerr uh yeah the warriors head coach at a pretty passionate discussion basically canceled his press conference but went up there and gave a two to three minute speech that has circulated the internet thousands and thousands of times by this point um and I think he said what a lot of was on a lot of people's minds. Uh, you know, a majority of Americans, you and I, Mitch, I think are both in this camp, are all for common sense gun regulation and different measures that we can do to restrict people like this and in general, uh, the need for this type of a weapon uh, to be in the hands of an everyday citizen. But, you know, the majority of those opinions aren't being effectively reflected in their legislature. Um, so I think, you know, call your representative, call your state senator, call whoever is representing you at a local level or a federal level and argue for this change. Um, I mean, it's it's ridiculous how often this happens in this type of a country in comparison to other countries around the world. Um, so, again, thoughts are with everybody. We're going to do our best to address things like this in the future. And obviously, as Mitch said, sometimes things are bigger than basketball. Um, and this was definitely one of those things. But Moving on to other subjects, Mitch, one thing we wanted to do in the cereal and brews of this episode is talk about a series that we love is near and dear to both of our hearts and is now entering a new era of it. So that is Star Wars. Now yes, we, we know it as the George Lucas movies, the trilogy after trilogy after trilogy, and now it's streaming and all these unique shows about specific characters and providing storylines and background that we never knew about. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the most recent edition of that. And I know they've now released three episodes. I've only seen two. So we're only going to talk about the first two, please 
for the love of God, do not spoil episode three for me. I've already seen some tweets about how good it is. And I stopped instantly went off of Twitter because I was like, I know I'm going <laughs> to find something. So the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, what were your initial thoughts? Is it everything that you hoped for? Just give me your initial take. It's so funny. So Evan and I and our buddies, uh, Johnny and Ryan and Evan's girlfriend, Rachel, we all went to, we were all going to go to the Cardinal game Friday. Um, and we both had promised each other we'd wait to watch Obi-Wan with each other because they came out, whatever, that Thursday night. We both watched it Thursday night. <laughs> but and so before we went up, before we went to the game, that we went to our Uncle Eric's house and he had both asked us separately what we thought of the show. I said it was better than good, but it wasn't like awesome. It was probably like in that great area. My brother same said the exact same thing. I I gave the first two episodes like around a nine. I thought it was inc- I thought it it was the best first two episodes we've seen of a Star Wars show. Better than the Boba Fett by far, and then better than Mando, which I loved Mando. But the first two episodes of this show were incredible. Um, getting to you know you see the trailers for the show and you automatically think oh my god we're gonna be stuck on Tatooine the entire time wondering about how he's protecting Luke we're protecting the other Skywalker the entire show and we're protecting Leia in the first two episodes and so how we've seen Leia represented has been I loved it I know you had different thoughts about it but I loved how much she brought out Padme and like me and the Oh, at the end of episode two, whenever we, whenever Obi-Wan just has like a little moment where he's just staring at Leia and he has this moment like, you remind me of someone and oh, tears. Like I was so happy as a Star Wars fan, so much nostalgia of watching all those movies was coming to life, but also just the connecting parts. You really, I mean, everyone on Twitter's talked about it. Oh my God, we finally see the impact of where the name Ben came from. Congrats, guys. Yes, we had to think that you had to think to know Ben and Leia had a relationship before the Force Ghost version of him came alive. So, like that had to have happened. But it's it's super impressive just how much has been uh, divulged. I've seen people crap on Leia's performance, like the girl who plays Leia's performance. I think y'all are stupid. She's literally nine. Get over yourselves. And then the people who crapped on Reva, the lead Inquisitor, who's not the Grand Inquisitor, the people who have sent some crazy comments. Yeah, Reva, thank you. Who have sent some... Moses Ingram. Yeah, who sent some insensitive things to Moses Ingram. Y'all are dumb as fuck. And so I need you to chill out because she's been great too, so... I thought yeah. the show was great. Third episode, I will not say anything other than it is good too. And it's worth, and it is, if you're a Star Wars fan at any level, it's worth watching. You will learn a lot. There are pieces you will need to have brought to your attention by nerds like myself, which is what I'm going to do for Aaron through throughout the show. But I have kind of like helped him understand a little bit, but any questions he has, I'm here for him, especially even on this podcast. So that way we can help the viewers or listeners. We don't have viewers. Yeah, no. Um, and back to the the Reva thing for Moses Ingram. Yeah, I mean, so many blatantly racist things have been said about her for some reason or another. Like, there's literally no reason. It's so ridiculous. I don't get it. The Star Wars, with every group, there's people like this. And in society, a, a, a large, you know, not a majority, but there are more people than you would ever think <laughs> in 2022 still think this way. Um, but with Star Wars, like it's kind of has this weird history with it. And that's something I struggle with as a Star Wars fan is just when these movies were made, like, you know, obviously 
there aren't there's not a lot of diversity when you oh, look God, back no. in these old movies and the new prequels brought a lot of that and the different shows have and i think there are just a lot of old school star wars fans who are stuck in the 1970s and different whatever and it's like all right man like can you do you realize you can't say things like this now or ever like i just don't understand how this is still a thing to be quite honest and i hate to see i don't know about you i know different fan bases like Harry Potter with everything that was going on with JK Rowling. Like they were sort of morally unsure what to do because you love this thing, but there are also inherent issues with it. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, Star Wars has obviously come out and defended her adamantly, but it's just tough to Harry Potter. Harry... Oh, Star Wars has come out. Reba. Sorry. Moses yep. Ingram. Yes, and, and defended Moses Ingram. But I mean, it's tough to have these people who you, you share something with, but at the same time, they're terrible human beings. <laughs> welcome to every kind of fandom across America. I mean, welcome to the stupidity of America. We have just really just hit on the stupidity of America in the serial and bruise. We're going to bring it back to Star Wars right now, though. Uh, after this, get over yourself for the love of God. Enjoy it for the product it is, and don't try to focus on the, the differences of the people that are in it. Enjoy it for the product that it is, which is incredible, and she's been great in it. And she has been an incredible villain throughout this entire show. Mm-hmm. So back to the show idea of it all. Thank you, Disney, for not screwing up Obi-Wan so far. It's been great. We're halfway through the series, and I have not been disappointed yet. And that's all I asked. This is better because I worried about how like similar this could possibly be to like that last season of Game of Thrones, because this ties together all of Obi-Wan's like middle history between three and four. I did not want this to be screwed up like Game of Thrones last season was, and this has been great. That's all I asked for. Yeah, no. And and Reva, who was in Queen's Gambit, is great. Like yes. you haven't seen, have you seen that show? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, she's great in that. Uh, I don't think she she comes in later, but she's hilarious. Um, so I'm excited to see her do more. But Ewan McGregor, like, my God, I forgot how much I love this man. Uh, he is the... Uh, oh God, I, I, I love me some old Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I, I he's still one of my favorite characters from the, the prequels. Um, oh, and obviously in this show, we're just getting more into it, but... It's it's been incredible so far. I personally really liked the actress that plays Leia too. Yeah. I I thought she's done a good job. Um, overall, I j- I just think it's been really entertaining. Like especially episode two, we finally got some action involved, um, and we're off of Tatooine, as you said. Like I'm just excited to see where it goes. I'm still waiting for Obi Wan Kenobi to light up his lightsaber. But even just seeing him like dig it out of the dirt, and you see Anakin's, and you see Obi Wan's. That was one of my favorite scenes. Uh, that's one thing I was telling Madison about, and she said it's sort of similar to Harry Potter, the distinction of the lightsaber, how it's so identifiable and you have nostalgia about the way Obi-Wan Kenobi's lightsaber looks or how Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber looks. And you could say the same thing for wands in Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. I would say it's a little bit different. Um, I mean, there are some really dramatic ones, but I don't know. There's something about just seeing the lightsaber design that just is so exciting as a Star Wars fan too. Yeah, I mean, so first two episodes, like, what are your, do you have any like, questions? Do you have any like concerns? I mean, because if you have concerns, don't bring them to me because I don't want to hear them. Mostly just have any questions for you. If you have any questions, this is what, this is helps everyone out here. I don't think I do. I mean, my only question is how the hell did Reva figure out that Leia and Obi-Wan were connected? Like, 
what sort of precedent was there for her to uncover that? So you remember at the end, so the only precedent that like kind of is overseeding throughout it all is the Riva has like the connection of Leia's adopted father, Bail Organa, and yep. and Obi-Wan. They have like this relationship. They clearly had, they were the two people who survived. I mean, Obi-Wan being a person, one of the two Jedis who served, well, one of the many Jedis who clearly have, uh, uh, survived Order 66. Um, he and Bail Organa like clearly had meetings and there's there's been documented apparently somewhere. I don't know who was documenting this bullshit, but it was documented somewhere. And so they had a relationship clearly. And so I guess Reva knew, okay, the one thing to pull him out of hiding was to somehow affect the guy who he he who somehow kept him into civilization. And so that's one thing. Um, did you notice? Okay, so there's like the four inquisitors we've seen so far yep. um rip to the grand inquisitor already yep. Jesus. yeah and that, i for the people did who have see, questions people who have did you questions see that about, actor's name it's like oh, rupert who, friend or something yeah he was in the uh if you ever saw like the hitman movie he was in that no okay but did weird, you know weird last name but do you remember the oh, so there's the other inquis the other guy inquisitor who's got like, the triangle like hat looking thing yeah is it you know who plays him? Mm-mm. He's um the he's in Fast and Furious. He is um Cho, not Cho. Gosh, that sounds terrible, but um he's the Asian guy in Fast and Furious. Yeah, his name's Sung Kang, if I'm yeah, pronouncing that his, correctly. Yeah, but what's his character in Fast and Furious? Dude, I'm not a Fast and Furious guy. You're asking the wrong. I thought you were a Fast and Furious guy. I'm just I've watched a few movies, but I haven't watched the whole series. But I can confirm, looking at his IMDb IMDb page, he's in Fast and Furious. Well, I'm just mad at so. myself now. But anyways, all right. But we you had him, and, that out. and we had uh, Joel Edgerton. Han Lu. Yes, thank you, Han. Han, why was I just... Damn it. All right, anyways, then we had Joel Egerton, who's playing Owen again, and I love that. So I needed him back mm-hmm. in my life. Um love just angry old uncle owen and he's played him he played him great in that first episode so um you're gonna love episode three that is all i will tell you um but i've been really happy with the show so far yeah it's it's so good i'm excited to watch about watch it more i with with me in star wars in the recent movies it's a tough balance of bringing back nostalgic characters that are legacy characters from the original trilogy or the prequels or whatever uh, versus creating new characters. And we've seen old characters with Leia, obviously Obi-Wan who this show centered around, um, as you said, Bail Organa, but mostly it's been to this point, at least through the first two episodes, new characters, which is, is really cool to me is, you know, my God, motorcycles. Um, is, is that Star Wars is setting itself up for a great future. So I've I've enjoyed the first two episodes, excited to see the rest. And I also like how it's only six. Like they're just, they're not going to try to extend it on for three, four seasons, short and sweet, uh, get to the point and have every episode feel like a movie. And it's been great. The other thing is if you've done, if you're a nerd like me, you've done like the background of like the Inquisitors and stuff like that. You've like watched Rebels, which has them in it. You play Jedi Fallen Order, which has them in it. And like there, there are some of these Inquisitors that are in both those. And so that's why like I know who they are as well. 
Uh, and finally, at the end of episode two, we all just have a moment where we get a little stiffy in our pants because we all finally see uh, Darth Vader um, in, in the, the whatever tube that he's in, just like the water tube. And we all just like lose our minds there for a half a second, which I was ecstatic, ecstatic to say the least. It didn't look like Hay- Hayden Christensen, that's for sure. It was a lot of makeup. Oh my God. It was. Is he going to look like himself at all? Do you want a spoiler? Uh, no. Okay. No, I don't. But I'll I'm say, kind I'll, of upset. I'll... I want to. I want to see his face. I want that. I want that connection. I get that. The other thing is, um, you're for sure not in this series. We are for sure seeing him in the Ahsoka series. Uh, there, there's confirmed Clone Wars flashbacks. And I am mm. so ecstatic to see what that looks like. So that'll be bring, cool. Bring that ass on every day. <laughs> so, um, also, like the in the second episode where there's the clone who has his helmet on, like the. Yep. I mean, it could be really Rex, th- right? Thought it was Rex, and I was like, "Oh my god!" But no, it was just it was one of the five uh, first guys, but it wasn't Rex. But apparently, but that was still cool, though. I was like, "Wait, is it?" Because I for a half second I like forgot that there were clones, and I was like, "What the fuck? Did they just somehow bring Django Fett back?" I was like, "What the hell?" Because it had the blue, like I don't know. It was the same. It's not like it was white and black, like a lot of the clones. Like it was, you had the blue in there. So, yeah, I for like half a second I was like, "All right, come on, don't do this fucking shit now." But no, it was that was a cool little callback because. Obviously, Obi-Wan was being hunted by them for a while and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that that was that was a good shot. It's just there's a lot of subtleties with this show that they've done a great job with. Um, but ex- I'm excited to watch it. I also don't want to hear you trashing Book, Book of Boba Fett. I haven't finished it yet. I've only watched the first two episodes. Um, but I, I enjoy it so far. As you know, I'm a little biased because he's my favorite character. But here we are. Just wait till it turns into season three of The Mandalorian. That's all I'll tell you. What does that mean? I'll figure it out. Anyways, uh, that's the end of the Obi-Wan conversation. Uh, last thing we wanted to kind of talk about was catch up on Memorial Day weekend. I mean, I know you spent it in Chicago. Uh, how was your long holiday weekend? It was great. Um, we spent a lot of time. I'm in Wisconsin now, but we spent a lot of time with Madison's uh, cousin, Emma, and her boyfriend, Jared. Who are fast becoming our close friends? They live in this Chicago, right? The, this wasn't the one I met, right? Mm. That wasn't. They weren't at New Year's, were they? No, you met Alexandra. Didn't she have a cousin there too? Oh, and then Shelby. Yes. Okay. There was the whoever had the boyfriend that I was Shelby. fighting with. Okay. Yeah, Shelby. Okay. Never mind. Go on. Sorry. Yep. You were fighting with him over you, you dingus! Like in joke fighting. I loved oh. me and him were like half falling in love with each other. It was great, but like he wanted your attention as much as I did. Dang it. That's funny. Are you sure you're not talking about Justin? I'm definitely talking about Alexander's boyfriend, Justin. That is exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Not uh, David. David was an interesting human being. That's yeah. all I'll say. <laughs> uh, no, he was dancy. Um, he was. But both no, of them but dancy. Different, <laughs> different cousin uh okay. different Back cousin emma <laughs> so we yep saturday night we had 
uh, a candle making and wine night. Uh, you can just guess who came up with that idea. Uh, but definitely Jared, was you had to be. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, eucalyptus man, big big candle guy. Um, lavender. Throw no, some. Uh, you've throw named some, two flavors. Congratulations. There's some tea tree tea tree oil in there. Ah, lots of good stuff. But no, it was Madison and Emma who came up with the idea. But it's actually pretty fun. Um, it was very semi-successful but then the next night we went to very semi-successful so why did you just say semi-successful i feel like very makes it sound just successful it was just semi-successful let's be honest uh but then the next night we went to a comedy show on a whim with them as well michelle wolf have you heard of michelle wolf can't say i have i'm not also big into the stand-up comedy game so i really can't tell you many people well you should be um she's hilarious she gave a hilarious um bit at the 2018 white house correspondence dinner okay which i'm not sure if you know what that is but i know what that is i've seen west wing okay okay (laughs) oh sure you've seen west wing congratulations i know what it is at least just get over it (laughs) anyways so she did that she's got comedy specials she's a big deal so we saw her on a whim i think she's like practicing her new special material right now um so we got in pretty cheap ticket at a really cool theater so I mean, she's an she's a huge deal. So that was really fun to go see her. And then now we're in Wisconsin hanging out with the family. So, yeah, a very, very successful Memorial Day weekend. Sounds like it. And didn't you go to a Cubs game? No, I did not. I thought you were going with Kaz. I was going to, and then we left on Monday. I'm a bad friend. We left on Sunday. Poor Kaz. I know, poor Kaz. I, I need to text him and ask how it went. But with? anyways, how was your Memorial Day? It was great. Uh, like I said, Friday night, we went to a Cardinals game. So there was this group of five of us that hung out the entire time. It was me, my brother, and his two best friends, Ryan and Johnny, and then Evan's girlfriend, Rachel. Uh, went to the Cardinal game together. Cardinals won. That was fun. They won 4-2. to And then <laughs> me, Evan, and Rachel then drove out to Innsbruck that night at like 1130, all the way out to Innsbruck which was about an hour from downtown and then didn't get out there till super late. And then Saturday hung out by the pool. Aaron, I don't think I've taken more naps in my entire life than I did at the pool on Saturday. So much so that I got sunburned and it ruined me for like the next 24 hours. I'm not kidding you. My tops, my red, my tops, my red, my tops, my feet were all red. I mean, it uh, that is a brutal place to get sunburned. I it's like swelled a swelled swelled up like swelled up <laughs> yeah like I'm gonna swell over here doing doing um, foot workouts <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> but it like swelled up because of how sunburned it got I was like oh my god like I could, it hurt to put my shoe on of course because yeah sunburn, those are like, that's it was tough. too tight I was like oh my god the slides um, are also bad with the sunburn I I stupidly forgot sandals stupidly ah. that sounds about right though for me. Um, and then uh, Sunday, Evan, Ryan and Johnny came back out to Innsbruck. They hung out with us all day. It was a blast. Watched the Celtics win. Great time. And then Monday came home and, and it was super chill day. I was preparing for the end of the month at, for work, which is just always a blast. It's just super stressful because everyone's just losing their mind about what numbers they need to hit. And I'm sitting there over here like, y'all suck and I'm just ready to go for next month already but I have to as the metrics guy on my team I have to worry about everyone else's numbers as and it it helps me because as a stats guy I like to keep up with everything in like with sports and people on my team 
but it aggravates me when no one wants to listen to me. And so I just have to figure <laughs> that whole thing out, but it is whatever. Um, yeah, it was super chill. I needed it. I, I needed that before I go on vacation next week to uh, the Poconos and go to Pennsylvania and sound like I'm rich white class America over here. <laughs> and I'm just, uh, it's going to be, I'm literally going to live in hoity-toity, uh, like dirty dancing land over here. And it's going to be just ridiculous. I'm going to feel so out of place. Midwest Mitchell cell rising up the ranks into Northeast society <laughs> just can't go well. Yeah. No, Poconos have never been, but never I've definitely, have I. <laughs> definitely heard the stereotypes. So that'll have to be a, a cereal and bruise episode in itself, a, a Poconos review. We'll, we'll do that while in the Poconos. It, we'll, yeah. So <laughs> we'll say this now for you guys. So that way you just know who the heck knows when our next episode is going to be, because I don't know what I'm doing any night while I'm in the Poconos. So we'll be <laughs> massively playing this by ear. At the, and of course, this is, happens to be occurring when the most important part of our season is coming out. But we'd like to was say we've planned. been, <laughs> it was not planned. Summer happens. We are people too. Um, but maybe as an alternative, if for some reason we can't record, Mitch, it's follow us on Twitter at Hooper's Almanac. Maybe we'll put out some analysis after each game, just something simple, a few bullets, a few tweets, something or other, maybe even a video recording or something like that. Um, just a quick soundbite for you all if, if you're interested. Because I obviously, you know, if we're not able to record for a few games, then the finals are halfway done and, and we're in a tough situation. So we're going to try to keep more of a, a use for our Twitter. We're going to adjust like we did for the Arkansas game back at MUTV days. Yeah. We couldn't go to Arkansas, but we could somehow do the pregame, halftime, and postgame show. <laughs> still, still the greatest, the greatest secret known to man between aaron carter and i and i will forever i'll let that one die to the grave oh my god yeah that was that was was iconic one of the the greatest like day i mean one of just the greatest moves on our part i mean that was just incredible nope that was a that was a business decision that was (laughs) somebody's coming down the lane uh you know let's say zion williamson's coming down the lane you're not Kyle Lowry and duck out of there. Yep. And you start like you're going to take a charge and then you just take two steps to your left and open the lane up for him. That is a business decision. My friend, that was a, a, a great story. And one, one that I'll remember forever between us two. And that's it. Yep. <laughs> and I, I think we might have, I think Andrew we Carlson's drunk. not listening to this part. <laughs> and maybe we, we probably drunkenly told someone about it. Like at new year's Eve, I feel like that might've come up at some point, but whatever it's whatever at this point but yeah we appreciate we appreciate you guys listening to this episode and listen to us ramble on here for god knows how long about random crap but uh we do appreciate you guys listening uh if you're following us on twitter we appreciate it if you're not we are at hooper's almanac um and like aaron said this is probably that's probably the best be the best way to keep up with us during this finals uh se- this season and so uh we have off-season stuff planned uh we will be having a few a bunch of guests on probably this summer just to talk about Different different pieces. We have our uh, different special specialists like uh, Mike Carr when it comes to refing. Or he actually did text me, Aaron. We do have draft specialists this summer. We have Evan Sell for the uh, for the lottery picks. And we got Mike Carr for the uh, late first round picks. Love late it. First round sleepers. So we got our draft guys. Um, but the other things just to keep up with us. You know, if you're following us, if you're listening to us, it has to be on Spotify. But we'd love to just have you follow us on there as well. Um, but we appreciate you guys tomorrow to. 
we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, June first. Game, or sorry, yeah, June first. Game, it, game one is tomorrow. Game, uh, June second. We're excited for it all. I hope you guys are as well. Have a great day, guys, and go Celtics. <laughs>